Hey guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to No Limits, a Mitrap podcast. How you doing this week, Mike? Oh, I'm good. I am ready to wrap up executive power. And uh, forgive me if I jump right into it, but do you mind if I give a Twitter shout out right now, right off uh, the bat? Go ahead and do it. All right. Well, I want to shout out one of our followers, Amor. You can find him on Twitter at AmorQGloria. He is our listener from the Philippines and was very excited. We're up to executive power. And so I asked, hey, can you give us some insider info on some of the geography and the different names and terms used by Vince in the book? And Amor was super helpful. And I do have uh, you know, one mea culpa to... Uh, to bring up here he helped correct the record a little bit so you mind if i uh, jump into that no go ahead yeah so uh we i found a, a really quite negative blog you know commenting <laughs> on executive power and the title of it was vince flynn needs to do some basic research on the philippines i'm like oh shots oh, fired man. that doesn't sound good yeah the guy was making the claim that you know abu sayef would never operate in the region on where the story takes place, Dinagat Island, which is where the Andersons are being held in the, the rescue operation. Uh, he mentions the language uh, that region would never speak, or the region of Abu Sayyaf and the terrorist group would never speak uh, Filipino or Tagalog. And um, basically, Amor told me that's pretty accurate. You know, the, the biggest thing that Vince had wrong was this island would probably never be a stronghold of Abu Sayyaf. There's another kind of uh, extremist group that does operate in the region, but not the Islamic fundamentalist one, which was more in the southwest Bangzamoro region. So Amor did say the names, like I was mentioning last time, are indicative of these two sides of the Philippines, where Rizal would represent Jose Rizal. And though I said he was a revolutionary, Rizal is more of a national hero, but not in a, in a revolutionary sense. Instead, he was a doctor and a writer. He penned two very patriotic Filipino novels. Those novels and his writing were what inspired others later on to revolt against Spanish colonial powers. And he was actually sentenced to death in 1896 because of those writings. So, yes, a national hero and icon uh, to the Filipino people, but not a revolutionary himself. So, Inspiring revolutionary tendencies. Exactly. 18 months after he was sentenced to death the Philippines would declare its independence from Spain. And so his writings did inspire a movement that would, uh, in his memory after his passing, uh, lead to a free and independent Philippines. And Amor had to point out that's also largely thanks to the help of the Americans. So nice partnership there. Yes. Yeah, the, the one thing he also said was that by naming the corrupt, really bad general, General Moro, yeah, that could be a little inflammatory, considering the Moro National Liberation Front was a guerrilla group active in the late 70s and early 90s to separate from the Republic of the Philippines. So he thought maybe not the most appropriate to name such a antagonist um, after that history. You know, it could just incite some dissent or be insensitive to the ethnic groups in the Bangsamoro region. So I know there was a lot, but wanted to give a quick thank you to Amor Q Gloria on Twitter for reaching out, being a fan. And uh, we're going to send him some stickers and bookmarks in the mail as a thank you so awesome oh, yeah we love uh love hearing from you guys wherever you are so i'm glad you brought that to us mike 
yeah, we got another fan um, who reached out, and we are very excited to welcome our newest patron, Bridget. Thanks for your message and reaching out to us. We hope you uh, continue to listen and read some more Vince Flynn. Couldn't be happier to have you as a patron. So thanks for supporting the show. Yes, and you'll be entered in our November book giveaway. So if you guys, uh, if anyone wants to get in on this, it's going to be a reader's choice. We have a copy of Executive Power, Pursuit of Honor, Extreme Measures, Act of Treason, and The Survivor. Uh, so anyone who signed up to be a patron will be entered into that. We'll be doing that um, next episode. Also, anyone who signed up this month, so Bridget, your your Patreon will be going to donation to the Prostate Cancer Foundation. Anyone who signed up this month, as well as uh, all the donations next month, will be going right towards that. So we're happy to, we'll be getting you the final number on that sort of mid-December, late December on what we're actually going to be sending their way. So really excited to do that. Nice. So what, what are we covering today, Mike? All right. Well, we are going to pick up at chapter 41 and get to the very end of Executive Power, which is the fifth book in the Rap universe, uh, but only the fourth book featuring Mitch Rap. So we're still in the early stages of Rap's uh, career on the page, if you will. But um, you know what happens, Chris? When we finish a book, I feel like I need to summarize my thoughts. And the best way to summarize my thoughts on this book is in the form of a limerick. I I thought you would never bring it to me. This is actually a 10-minute limerick. I did uh, scribble together watching TV right before we uh, we kicked this off. So forgive me if this is not one of my finest. Give it to us. All right, here we go. A hostage rescue attempt gets bungled deep in the Filipino jungle. A corrupt general and leaks there are several. Coleman, Rap, Wick, ready to rumble. David and Omar will do whatever they could for the goal of Palestinian statehood. Ben Friedman lies, Kennedy not duped by the guys. What to do? Anything Rap would. Honestly, that have you said it only right. took you ten minutes, but I, I really like the second one, the the second limerick. It's pretty good. Well, you caught my reference at the end, right? What would you do? Anything rap would. WWRD? Or no. WWRD. Yeah. What would, yeah, rap, what do? would rap do? What would rap do? There we go. That was Coleman. <laughs> Coleman was sitting in the jungle wondering what to do when a surprise comes his way, and there's only one answer. What would rap Whatever do? Whatever rap would do. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was, what does he say? It, it was, it was pretty clear. Only one thing. What would rap do? <laughs> That's it. You should teach your kids that, you know, as they're growing up. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure Patrick would, Patrick would would do well learning from that. So <laughs> He'd be like, what would Kylo Ren do? Yeah, exactly. Isn't that his favorite? <laughs> Kylo Ren, or he's really into the Mando, Mandalorian. Ooh, yes. I got to watch the new one. Or anyone from, um, he's really big into, what is it, uh, Minecraft. I don't even know what the heck mm. that is, but Minecraft. They don't have like characters in that, do they? It's like names and stuff. Uh, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine, bro. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyways. Who knows? Anyways. All right. So, I love your limerick. 
let's let's not dive into the second half plot analysis. I was thinking about the themes for this, and they're really just this pretty much the same a continuation of what we discussed in the first half. This idea of relationships where we're expanding on these one on ones, uh, particularly like, you know, Mitch and Anna, Anna and Irene, uh, Mitch and the president. Um, you know, th- these are really key things that we're going to see throughout the rest of this book. Commitment to a cause. Really, this book in the second half turns to being David or, or Jabril Katabi's, you know, commitment to wanting Palestinian statehood and, and what he will fully do in order to achieve that. And the third thing that I sort of came up with, you know, this idea of price for freedom, which is a continuation of of that idea of commitment to a cause. Like, what is, what's the highest price you will pay in order to get freedom for your people? You know, like, David is a very interesting character. And I mentioned this last time, how I kind of was, I said I, would, I liked him, but, you know, I guess the better phrase is I sympathize with him in the sense that mm-hmm. what he wanted for his people is very good and obviously the way he, he he was very much a pragmatism in the way he was thinking about this whole palestinian statehood and and bringing about how like in order to have peace you know we can't have these extremist groups but in himself he is being an extremist by bringing about you know death and, and killing all this stuff so but you know like what is the what is the price of freedom and bringing this to yourself and your community so i, I really w- w- as we go along we'll, we'll highlight these things more so yeah, and that point exactly helps us pick up after the bombing in Hebron because we just had David so committed to the cause, but in in a balanced way. He knows, even though he is an ardent Palestinian fighting for his people, he knows the leaders of groups like Hamas and the, the Popular Liberation Committee. He mentions Force 17, Islamic Jihad, Martyr Brigades. These are all the people in the meeting that he willingly takes out. So he knows it's kind of a give and take to get what he wants, and that's why he also turns this information over to Ben Friedman of Mossad and Israeli intelligence. So the book here really picks up with Kennedy hearing about the bombing, grilling Friedman on what the heck happened here, what's going on in Israel, come clean, tell me the truth. And and, and I really like this quote where Kennedy knows Friedman's lying to her. And Vince writes, but in the hall of mirrors that were her life, she wasn't about to reveal what she really knew. So she didn't play all of her cards that she knows these um, helicopters have the Hellfire missiles and that the Israelis fired them because she's trying to give Ben a chance to come clean, get on board, work with them, give up the intelligence. And Ben Friedman eventually does say, yeah, these high level targets were there and even tells her Mohammed Atwa, the head of Palestinian general intelligence was there. These were high-value targets, and so Ben does eventually come clean to Kennedy and let her know it was an op, and they did try to take out Palestinian leadership. But he doesn't go so far as to say, you know, he, he's still thinking that this is a this is a bomb, like they, they took out a bomb factory, and there was a meeting at the bomb factory, you know, so he's still not fully being honest here. Um yeah. And obviously, this he also back. doesn't mention David that there's this character David no. involved who is a shady character, right? You you figure if right now he gives over her the information about David, then both the assassination in New York that 
is going to take place soon and the assassination in DC w- wouldn't happen, you know, like wouldn't have happened. Yeah. yeah. He also thinks he's dead. Friedman True. also thinks he blew True. him up, but he still holds back from Kennedy and telling her and revealing that there was this operative who gave us this intelligence. I was thinking about that. Why wouldn't he he just so blatantly just says, "Oh, he's dead." But they send in people to like plant evidence that this was a bomb factory. So like, why wouldn't you send in people to like ID the people who were killed? And maybe it's a little harder than that. Looking at how they bombed the whole damn village to hell, you know, back to kingdom come. So true. Yeah. I don't know. He d- so another shady thing though, that Friedman's doing is he's playing prime minister Goldberg, oh, yeah. who he knows is more middle of the road than he is. You know, the prime minister, uh, the Israeli prime minister, is constantly concerned about a vote of no confidence from the cabinet. He's really concerned about, you know, losing his position and and power. And so he's contemplating, you know, working on a, a resolution at the UN that would grant a pathway to peace and a Palestinian statehood. And Friedman's having none of it. He has drinks with him, brings up old times. He plays buddy, buddy. And Friedman eventually convinces uh, the Prime Minister Goldberg to get even deeper into this, planting fake evidence, sending, you know, Israeli uh, investigators and uh, IDF forces into Hebron to control the scene, which is, you know, the a grieving site of a, of a Palestinian residential community. What is it going to look like when the IDF comes rolling in? But Friedman convinces the prime minister he has no other options but to go in, take control of the scene, and plant the evidence, which doesn't play well. It leads to some pretty raucous riots and protests. That comes up a little bit in the book. It doesn't play a central role, but you could tell that the Palestinians are really, really ready to blame Israel for this whole fiasco, and um, the prime minister has to be careful. Yeah, everything that, you know, Prime Minister Goldberg is he's sort of toeing this line of he can't quite mm-hmm. fully go into what Ben Friedman and Ben Friedman is really a man out on a ledge here. And I mentioned this last time, I he really should not be in this position. He he should have mm-hmm. been fired. He should have been sacked. Like the fact that the Americans thought that they could control him, you know. And even at the end here, we don't yes. The president calls for that Friedman should be sacked, but it never actually happens. Like Kennedy sort of like walks him back. Yeah. I don't know. Like the fact that he's still like in charge or is able to have such influence in the government over there is kind of crazy. But yeah, yeah. I don't know how they could have gotten him out of the picture earlier. Maybe they should have. But I mean, they're the fact that they just let him. They they had enough information on him to get him out of the picture this just adds you know he's sort of the cause the root cause of this again you know so yeah and while while all this is happening david is still plotting he's still advancing you know he's working with omar who's funding him his next thing to really blame israel or you know turn international pressure against israel is an attack on the palestinian ambassador to the un who of course is living in new york and this is the one where he, he shoots him, right, from the rooftop. He yeah. sets up posts in New York City and tracks the Palestinian ambassador leaving his home, realizes he's with a woman, and instead of taking the shot and possibly hitting her, again, another way you kind of want to sympathize with David, 
he doesn't want to hurt the woman uh, with the ambassador, but I don't like what he does. Instead, <laughs> he shoots the two bodyguards in front and behind, which causes a reaction where he can get a clearer shot on the ambassador. So, I don't know, kind of a weird thing, but again, David is uh, is doing whatever it takes to inflame you know, the passions against Israel and really get the world to unite behind a Palestinian cause, even if it takes violence. Right. And we'll get to what this all is going to mean, you know, why he's chosen to, one, literally kill the people who are supposed to also be wanting a Palestinian um, statehood. Yeah. He kills the Palestinian ambassador. We'll, we'll get to, like, the end game here. But before we get there, we have we have to go back to Mitch and Anna, right? Oh, yes. The last time we saw Mitch... He'd just gotten shot in the ass and he just, he's like, I'm going to go to sleep now. And then passes out. He has to fly back on, on a plane, you know, laying down on his stomach because his ass was shot. And then when he gets back, he, 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 he immediately like we're, we're in his head and we're, he's trying to figure out ways how he can get around the fact of telling Anna, like what, what the hell happened? He's like, what did I tell her? I was actually doing, can I stall this so that way I could say I was in San Diego and I had like a surfing accident? Like, you know, yep. he's always, <laughs> he's trying to figure out a way not to do it. And then, then he gets into the house and immediately doesn't tell her instead, like sees her, like, you know, she's obviously waiting for him. Hasn't seen him in a while. And his one part of his body sort of takes, takes hold uh, instead of his head. And until she grabs his butt, I thought this butt squeeze. It's a little passionate. The butt squeeze of his where he got shot was just hilarious to me, and he like, yep. is it says it took him a couple seconds to register, and then he like screamed and flinched back, and she's like, "What the hell?" Yeah, but then the oh. ensuing scene that happens is she is pissed so much so Oof. that she punches him and causes a black guy, <laughs> and that black well, guy is she gonna... gets really mad. Sorry, she's not only mad that he wasn't going to tell her about getting shot and he lied about what he was doing, but Rap goes, don't worry, everything is going to be fine. And the don't worry part is what sets her over the edge. Yes. She's like, don't worry about my husband getting shot and lying to me about doing some secret you know, army man in the Filipino jungle. Don't tell me not to worry. And boom, I know, delivers there's, a blow. There's one line where she's like, I'm... Where you you got to, out to like acting like James Bond spy stuff, and he's like, "I'm not a spy," and she's like, "You know what I mean." <laughs> and I love this when he's flying home. He says, "Somewhere over the western U.S., he'd come to the awful conclusion that he would have to face the wrath of his wife head on. She was his wife, and no amount of truth or logic would save him from her wrath." Yeah, but this brings me to think that that entire first half of the book sequence with Mitch, what Mitch is doing in the Philippines is just a a device to build tension between him and Anna. Yep. The whole point of that, like the overarching part of this book is the David storyline with the, you know, being this person who's trying to bring about Palestine, or he has this idea how to bring about Palestinian statehood. But the bulk of or the first 40 book 40 chapters of what rap is actually doing the whole purpose of that is just one we can see rap do some cool stuff second he acts like an idiot 
And then third, that causes him to get into this huge fight with Anna, like, which is kind of disappointing to me. But, you know, I mean, we're approaching we're over the halfway point of the book. And for the rest of it, I'm going to be thinking, when does the Philip the mission in the Philippines come up? How is that related to the Israel Palestine stuff? I'm thinking, how are the Anderson families being taken as hostages and Abu Sayyaf, this terrorist group going to play a role? in the Palestine conflict. And how is David ever is David ever going to make contact with the the Filipino general who, who we've been hearing about this whole time and the the two never even remotely come together. So, part uh, of yeah. me on the reread cuz I had read this book I don't know a while like a year and a half ago and then rereading it I'm as a, I'm like trying to anticipate where the story is going to go again. I'm like, "Oh wait, is General Rizal like a bad guy?" like does he come back and he's like, oh, rap knew that in like, no, he never literally gets mentioned yeah. again. <laughs> but anyways, and he and rap were kind of buddy buddy or like rap, like realized he was good and he was the good general. And, you know, he never comes back. So it was kind of yeah. like, what was that all for? I, I guess I was remembering like a big twist and we'll get to like the actual big twist that there is a big twist in this book that at the end, sure. it wasn't the one I was expecting. So. I'm with you. I was waiting for that twist that was related to the first half of the book, right. and that never came. Right. Besides rap getting punched, that was a, that was a bit of a twist. Yeah. <laughs> a little a twist. entertainment smack in the middle. Well, and did you like the whole scene between Kennedy's on the phone, Mitch is in the office, Kennedy's on the phone, she's talking to Anna. She's like, oh, really? No, he didn't inform me that he got shot in the ass. Oh, I will make sure. And then he, I remember rap says, I can't take this much estrogen. <laughs> and then she's like, well take this testosterone and she gives it right back at him. Yeah. She schools him. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine she calls him Mitchell a few times. She that, does. That, that always happens. And I, but, what I really yeah. liked about it was she actually says, and like, I guess, again, we mentioned that this was a really, we saw a lot more of Irene and a lot more of her personality, but she says in like this one sentence where she says that other than my, uh, you know, like my mother and my son, Tommy, you are my closest friend. And like, yeah, she really thinks of him as know, a brother, uh, you know, a family member. Um, their relationship goes way beyond, you know, anything. And the fact that he would just think, cause some of the things he's thinking is, you know, not, um, not akin to what like Kennedy's personality is. And so it was very offensive to her. So it's true. It's true. You know, while we're while we're kind of stateside with Rap and Kennedy, we don't see, and this is going to be something in our winners loser section at the end. We don't see that much action involving Rap, but at the same time, he he does some pretty badass things. So one is how he outs Assistant Secretary of State Amanda Petrie and Ambassador Cox. They were the two diplomats who leaked the mission. Uh, compromising it, causing the death of those two seals on the beach. And the president, you know, and Valerie Jones want to have a whole plan, get out ahead of it, a press conference, a statement, try to move on, you know, not let it blow up, you know, in ways they can't control. But Rap has a, a better plan to attend a National Security Council meeting. When Rap walks in, the the whole atmosphere changes, and you could tell that uh, Petrie goes on the defensive. And so Vince writes, when Rap comes into the Security Council meeting, 
Here in their midst was a cold-blooded killer who had dealt with national security issues that they had wrestled with every day, but in a much more real and final way. He was a man who came to meetings unannounced and rarely spoke. He was a man who had the president's ear, respect, and gratitude. He was a man who feared could end any of their careers if he so chose. So when he entered the long, narrow room, all of the attendees squirmed a bit. And to make matters worse, instead of taking a seat at the table, he remained standing. We know that's because, you know, he had a bullet in his ass, but it's also a power play. And he goes back and forth with Ambassador Petrie, who he knows leaked the mission. Um, and she's playing innocent. And she actually gets a little testy with him. And then eventually his drop the mic moment is when he talks about, oh, yeah, you think you've done more to protect America than anybody else? Let's see what the FBI has to say about that. He drops it that there was a, a leak. It came from her office and he has emails and the FBI has emails. He walks out of the meeting. Two FBI agents come in and take her away. That's justice served right there. Yeah, I, I really like that scene. Just the bravado that he has, he plays in the fact that she doesn't even realize what she actually, you know, has done. She doesn't think, oh, you know, nothing that I could have done could have caused these two Navy SEALs to be killed. And even like after she really, he lays down the information, it takes her a while to like even process the fact that, oh, I am the sole reason why these two men are now dead and their families are without their fathers. You know, that, that scene just really, it hit home. And uh, Mitch plays a badass in that scene. Yep. You know, it's very Flynnian that we need to get these meeting scenes. Yes. Um, and the way that goes down is like pure Flynnian, you know, can't put it any better than that. We even, there's a, there's a quote somewhere about meetings, how rap is just railing on meetings, hates meetings. What a waste. They go on too long. You never actually accomplish anything. And I'm like, man, that is my daily schedule at work. <laughs> I love that shit. If Love it. And I quote, if Rap had learned anything during his lengthy study of American counterterrorism efforts, it was that there were too many meetings. Too many meetings that accomplished nothing and more, than, more often than not created more red tape and hassles for people who were on the front lines doing the important work. Meetings were a colossal waste of energy and resources. They never started on time. They always ran over. And that was the least of their problems. <laughs> Yo, Rap, can you come to one of my faculty meetings at school and just drop that line, please? I'm guessing Flynn, please. Flynn was not a fan of meetings. Can't agree more. Yeah, very true. So, yeah. Yep, yep. Well, I mean, there are some meetings that are successful. And maybe not a meeting, but Marcus is pulling strings in the background. It's time we get to him. He's working at CTC with, do you remember the other uh, chick's name? There was someone else on his team. Was it Brown or Braun? I, well, I forget. He's partnered up. Yeah, he's partnered up back at CTC, and he's got the British intelligence, these transcripts that Kennedy received saying, hey, there's some conversation with a guy going on with a Saudi prince on his yacht. It sounds pretty sketchy talking about some attacks and, and, and a mission that they're going to plan to execute, and they get a partial picture. And so Dumond, you know, he's buried in his work. It describes a cubicle kind of out of the way that he chose, and he designed the CTC setup so he can have his own corner. 
he starts running uh, some facial recognition stuff. That plays a role in this book, which is, you know, pretty early on, I would imagine, that that's developed a lot since 2004. But he's he's working the facial recognition, and he's also working bank accounts. He and his team decide to look at the money. And they're seeing that from Prince Omar, money not only went to this one shady character they have uh, partial facial recognition for, but he finds these other accounts getting like half a million here, you know, 500,000 here, 500,000 here. And he's trying to put it together and he doesn't know who it is. And we have a really good cliffhanger of when he goes, I saw that name in the newspaper this morning. Puts it all together, and a few chapters later, we learned he traced the money to the French ambassador, Amb- Ambassador Jussard. And that's going to play a role in a little bit because, well, what's the relationship, right? This is the French ambassador who convinced France to go to the UN and push for Palestinian statehood. So this whole mission to advance this at the UN would have never came about if it weren't for this ambassador. And... Marcus is tracking him down. And the, and, the, and the U.S. president, Hayes, is kind of getting some pressure to also vote yes on this. That's the thing with the Saudis, right? And the right. Saudi ambassador comes to the White House? Yeah, so... The, oh, the oil embargo. So the whole... I guess David's whole scheme here, right, is to... He took out the, the leaders of Hamas and the other you know extremist groups in that were running Palestine. He then flies over to the United States takes out the Palestinian ambassador to the UN, brings up, you know, that sort of is bringing up this whole... And obviously, the whole time, everyone is just blaming Israel, right? Yeah. So really to foment more um, anger against Israel, with the hope of they're now pushing for Palestinian statehood, and then you have then the Saudi ambassador who comes over and says, listen... If you don't back this, we're gonna all the all the people of OPEC are going to, you know, do an oil embargo, which the president says, you know, that could be conceived as an act of war. Um, but and then it gets brought up that you know we sort of done this stuff before, anyways. Immediately after that meeting, that ambassador is then taken out, which is again is like supposed to be all right. Israel is now being further and further crazy. They're they're now acting against the Saudis. Again, just trying to force President Hayes' hand to really vote yes for the statehood. All the while, everyone is like, all right, we think it's Israel. We think it's Israel. Ben Friedman's off the hook. And it's not until, you know, like you said, Marcus really putting in the work to figure out that, oh, it's it's actually not Israel. And like Mitch, Mitch is like, just give us, give us some time. Yeah. Give us... 48 hours, stall the vote. I have a plan to do to do some of that, uh, but let me find this guy because they have now information about there was this this guy who traveled. You know, obviously they have the information from the Brits. He traveled to the United States. He then took a train. They have facial recognition, as you said, that they know he got off at Union Station. Let me. He's he, in DC. He's in DC. And then it's, then there's that the bombing, the explosion so of the Saudi ambassador. Yep, it's probably connected. You know, let's put two and two together, and let's let's find this guy. It's interesting. All the legwork there was Marcus to realize the same guy who assassinated the ambassador in New York got on a train, came to D.C., 
Boom, the Saudi ambassador blows up, blocks from the White House, freaking everybody out. So he might he he digs that up, but Rap is the one who connects the dots. Did you realize Rap was much more involved in this book on a analytical oh, yeah. side of things and less on the direct get involved in the action, uh, taking care of business side of things. You think about it, Rap gets in the action in two points in this novel when he the beginning when, and the very end. He, not even the beginning, I guess like sort of semi middle when he takes sneaks a peek in the Philippines, right? Yeah. And then at the very end when he goes and confronts Omar. Like that's it. Yeah. He doesn't he's not even the one to take out David, which I thought was interesting. So I mean we're getting we're ramping up to the conclusion here, and basically we've uncovered somebody else is behind this. And it's this mystery man, David, who they do eventually ID as, you know, Jabril uh, Katabi is his Palestinian name. Uh, so Rap can start following him. And then they also ID this money going to the French ambassador. And so we learn that France was really the one pushing for this UN vote, being very, very um, hard line on a deadline that this vote is going to happen immediately. And President Hayes is about to give in, like you said. Rap begs and begs for time. I think Hayes gives him 12 hours and says, if you've got nothing in 12 hours, you know, the jig's up. We have to vote yes. We can't veto the resolution. And without exercising their veto power, a resolution on Palestinian statehood would pass in the Security Council and the General Assembly. So Rap obviously has a plan here, and it's a pretty ballsy plan. He he convinces the president to buy themselves some time and delay the UN vote by pulling the fire alarm. Essentially, <laughs> he he convinces. Um, I think they use is it Turbs? He's the head of uh, CTC. He replaced Irene yeah. when she got promoted. Yeah, that guy's a pretty sweet character. Irene really relies on him a bit, and Rap even mentions that he trusts him. So Rap's not letting any of his cards out. So he's not saying anything about David. He's not saying anything yet about the money going to the French ambassador. Um, he's keeping his cards close to his chest, but he's okay with this Turbs guy, the the director of the CTC. Kind of remind me when we talked about uh, the different DCIs. There was this this one guy. He never was DCI, but he was head of CTC, uh, Jose Rodriguez. Mm -hmm. He was like one of these administrators that all his people love to work for, and you could really tell he had their backs. I kind of felt like this Jake Turbs was – was someone like that because rap lets him in on it and says, Hey, you know, they call in this uh, bomb threat at the UN and the UN evacuates and can't have the vote. Well, there, there's even like the whole backstory on, on Turbis where he's like, Mitch is explaining to, to the reader or whatever that he had got told he needs to retire. And then he shoots back to the, whoever's in charge of him being like, all right, well, I, like he had obviously been following up, you know, he had information, he like Stansfield, he had information on everybody he's like yeah. and he's like, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to let, let everyone know that you have this mistress. I'm going to let your wife and, and uh, the other person that know you have, uh, you're having an affair. So then he, and that's how he gets the promotion, he gets the promotion. by blackmailing yeah. the guy. I like that yeah. dude. <laughs> <laughs> I think it just shows he's learning the lessons, you know, similar to Stansfield and Kennedy of, you know, always be prepared. And uh, fight back and stand your ground, and he did. So instead of retiring, he actually got, became the boss. So yeah, keep your uh, yeah, well, enemies closer. Yeah, or no, yeah. no. What is it? What's the what's the we we messed this up last time. 
Keep your enemies. We're gonna mess it up again. Keep your enemies close and your friends closer. There it is. That's what your it allies, is. Closer. allies closer. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's it. But they call in this bomb threat, so the UN evacuates and uh, they can't have the vote, giving Rap just enough time to pull together all the evidence, convince the president you have to veto this resolution. You you can't let it go on. And what's interesting is during all this time, we hear about more and more suicide bombings in Israel. So people are blaming Israel. You know, if the vote happens and the U.S. vetoes it, it would look really bad because right now Israel is not playing well in the public. But the suicide bombings keep going off. It seems like the violence is going to be nonstop. So rap needs this time when the vote is postponed at the U.N. to track David. And he calls up his crew. He gets Coleman involved. They get in a plane. And again, Marcus found out that... David is flying to France, and we know southern France uh, in Nice is where Omar's yacht is, and he's often been meeting with with Omar on the yacht. So Rapp and Coleman beat David out to the yacht, and they have it bugged. I like how Coleman actually goes out and bugs the yacht. He he uses he his, swims uh, up. his scuba diving yeah. skills. He swims up to the boat and bugs it, and that way Rapp is going to get all the evidence he needs to convince the president. This whole thing's a ruse. Don't don't allow the UN vote to take place. You know it's all under um, basically all the hatred that's been fomenting against Israel is all fake and all fabricated by this mastermind. So they get the recording, and then rap when he's listening to it is like, "Oh shit! I don't even have to take out David because Omar, the Saudi prince, has him killed." And they hear it right on the recording. They they he basically airs all his laundry says what his plan was, how he masterminded the whole thing, and then Omar kills him. And Rap has the recording to bring back to the president. I know the the first time I was reading this, I was like, wow. I I was not expecting that. Were were, no. were you expecting David to be killed? I thought he I thought he was going to kill Omar. I was like, when's Rap going to bust in here? Yeah. I was like, when is Coleman going to detonate this yacht and they all go down? And I'm just like, when is when is rap gonna bust in and do some badass shit and then all of a sudden a random bodyguard stra- strangles David to death? Like what? Yeah, it was but, it was kind of inter- an interesting choice by by Vince to kill yeah. David. Yeah, rap does get in a little action here. He though. does when when the prince thinks he got rid of David, his plan is set. The UN's gonna vote, you know, the way he wants and. You know the prince will will look pretty good to his, his the the rest of the royal family that has kind of seen him as like the black sheep. They haven't really taken Omar in. Um, well, now look what he accomplished. He you know kind of brought down the Israelis. He pressured the Americans with his plot. He's proud of himself. But who's waiting in his limo when he walks off the yacht and gets in the car? Mitrab. And as he says, "I am your executioner." It's a pretty good line. Yeah. Rap gets his action as he always does. Like, I feel like it's always in the last chapter or the the epilogue where he gets these kills, but they're always great. Yep. Two, one in each kneecap and a third in the forehead. Yeah. Standard rap stuff. Well, and this is the information that they'll then use to show the the prince of Prince Faisal, and I think this is an important situation that sets up. I don't know, yep. a couple, if not the next book, yep. but in, in a couple books where 
this relationship between the president Hayes and and Faisal is going to be important. Yep. So yep. The fact that you know they're sh- he's showing him this and trying to get into his trust to be like, hey, you know, th- this is what's going on. Like you owe us. Th- this is going to become important later yeah. down la- later down the road. So yeah, because Faisal's the crown prince. Yeah. who is the heir to the throne, and I like this when when Hayes is going to turn over the evidence and Kennedy too. They deliberately decide to leave Rap's voice in the recording because it's like you could have really ticked off the crown prince if they knew an American operative killed his – is it his brother or, or cousin? His you brother. Know, one of his family members. Yeah. His brother, right? Omar's his brother. And it's like you could really tick him off if you leave in you know, the intelligence report that Rap or an American operative did this. And they kind of say, no, you know what? I think that's good. We're being honest. It shows the crown prince we're being honest, and it shows Faisal that there were, they know there's divisions in the family. Like they didn't like Omar in the first place, right? So it was kind of like helping out the royal family for getting rid of this like loose cannon of a hedonistic brother who was wasting their money and giving you know the crown uh, the royal family a bad name, right? Yeah. So in the end, uh, you know the president demands that the French hold this peace conference and you know both sides are going to come they show the crown prince this this meeting and then there's this final scene that I wanted to talk to you about where Rap you know shows his gun to the president and says this is the only thing that they understand I, I, what what did you think about that because I, I don't fully I mean maybe this is just the left coming out in me but I, I don't fully believe that that's the only thing that these people understand both sides like that's like literally fighting is the only thing they understand so you know that line uh also to me came off you know reading the wrong way i went back to the text though and you know what i realized the grammar that vince chose hinges on the word zealot because at first I was like, is Rap really trying to tell the president, president, you know, violence is all the Middle Easterners understand? That, that's the way I read it at first. Yeah. First reading. I went back, though, but – and the quote was, if you want peace, this is the only thing the zealots will understand. Once they are dealt with, only then will Israelites and Palestinians be able to live side by side. Okay. And once okay. I once I parse that apart, I do think that's the truth. I do think – Having these radicalized groups that, you know, are such a small part of the population, but if their voice is getting so much attention in the argument and the debate, it's hard for the peaceful sides to come to the negotiating table and get anything done. Because while they're doing it, a suicide bomb will go off and enrage people, you know, or while the peaceful sides are using diplomacy, the zealots will be out there screwing it up for everybody. So. I think if you take that nuance, I'm on board with the essence of that statement. Yeah, just look at the Afghan Taliban peace talks right now. So, exactly, exactly. But no, I, I, I when I when I first read that, I was just like, is is Flynn just trying to say that no matter what we do, it's just going to be, you know, it's it's shit over there? And I was like, that's that's such a I don't know a negative way to look at the kind of uh, it's that. defeatist. Yeah, yeah. So. Anyways, but no. It once... also shows there's no agency, yeah. you know, among the actual players for solving their own peace. But I think that is true as long as the zealots who will use violence every time in very gruesome ways, if they have all the bargaining chips or all the you know attention, you know, peace is hard. Yeah. 
Yeah, so well that's that's the book. Well, um it's time for our winners and losers, our zero sum game. I'm curious, Chris, um how do you want to wrap up this book? Were there any questions that stood out to you or things on your mind, you know, before we get into our final ratings and what we yeah. liked and didn't like? Yeah, so just a, a few things that I was thinking about was you know, who who is the villain? We sort of touched on this the la- last pod, but who is the villain of this book? You know, is there this I've I've coined this no, I I haven't coined this term, but you know, I've coined this term in our pod, who is the big bad, you know? And to me, if I had to choose, obviously, I guess David is is the the bad guy here. But again, like I mentioned, like I kind of I sympathize with him. I kind of liked him as a character. Uh, I, I guess if you wanted to say Prince Omar is is the bad guy because he's the one at the end, like that twist where he kills David. General Moro is a bad guy, um, but there wasn't like really like a central villain in this novel. Yeah, I, I'm 100% with you, and I think it overall, that weakened the storyline. Like, I wanted a Hank Clark, right? Uh, I wanted a mastermind, and no one no one individual really brought the narratives of the storyline together. So it's like, the diplomats got a really bad rap. Okay, there's Amanda Petrie, right. Assistant Secretary right. of State. Was she really a big villain? Uh, and then... People taking bribes. General Moro took bribes. The French ambassador right. took bribes. Right. There were all like these little disparate kind of un, you know disconnected um, bad people going on, but no one really uniting that cause or pulling those storylines together. So I think what clouds my mind is the fact that David talks about, even though I guess David is supposed to be the bad guy, but he talks about these things. And he's very, like, relatable in terms of, you know, like, he talks about his mother and he talks about, like, how we actually need peace. And he, like, understands, he understands, like, the situation. So you begin to sort of like him as a character or understand his, like, what he is going through. And I think that's where you begin to, like, oh, he's is he is he the bad guy? I guess he's the bad guy. Like... Yeah, maybe if he had been this sort of maniacal guy, like I just want Palestinian statehood at no cost. But, but I mean, I guess. But but again, he thinks about the cost when he sees like he doesn't he doesn't want to kill. Wants to take out a small population of people who he knows are bad guys, yeah. and he gets pissed off when Ben Friedman, you know, launches all launches the all those indiscriminately. Missiles. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he actually sees a woman carrying a baby right. and can't put her down. Yeah. Can't put the baby down. And his heart's broken. He's like, I, I was not a part of that. That was not my plan. Mm-hmm. He didn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very. I don't know. That 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 was one of the, one of the big questions I had. And the, the second thing that I was thinking about is, how do these two storylines hold up? Do you like them being together? I gotta admit, I really didn't. And I'm, I don't want to be hypocritical because in the past I, I have critiqued like the third option when the storylines flip flop so much. But then there was the payoff. They all did come together right. because of Hank Clark. Right, right. So I, I looking back, I really liked that because in this book, the dueling storylines I thought were OK. I was kind of trying to gel with it. But when the Philippines stuff was just dropped entirely, 
And then, you know, 50, 60% of the book is just straight up the Israel, Israel Palestine conflict and the two never connected. It, it didn't hold up for me. I didn't like how this book read as two separate parts without, with, with it a stretch. It was really a stretch to find any sort of, you know, link between the two. Yeah. The, as I said earlier, the, the main part of the, the Philippine story was to set up this conflict between uh, Anna and, sure. and Mitch. Like, sure. It was a long, long con to set up that conflict. So yeah, and so while we're already on winners and losers, you know, another question. Let's talk about Anna. We in the past have tried to defend her. You know, did she have a point in what she was making, what she was saying, and arguing with rap about? What do you think about Anna here, and how far she goes in the storyline? Well, I think one of my winners is. I think Anna and Mitch's relationship actually has gotten stronger in this book. I do think that Mitch has realized, you know, one, they had their honeymoon and he said, all right, I have to change. And then they had that conflict through the whole Philippine things. And he's like, listen, he's starting to think about her side of the, you know, of the relationship and what he has to give to her. So I think she's a winner in that se- in that sense. I also think like Anna and Irene's relationship has really grown. Like that was one of the the big, you know, we talked about relationships. That was one of the big, you know, we've we've we we were actually able to see that in this novel in a couple of different chapters. So I think Anna sort of won is is a, definitely a winner in this book in terms of getting a better relationship with her husband and getting a better relationship with her husband's boss. So yeah. It just took a black eye, you know, yeah, to wake really up. Did. Yeah, it did. A sock in the face. Though I agree, there was that nice moment where Mitch, you know, without actually apologizing, he did apologize in the sense of he said, I'm going to be more open with you. Right. He does set the ground the groundwork and say like, or he sets a, he, you know, the red line and says, you cannot demand knowing where I am at every moment, but I will promise to be more open and tell you about what I'm doing. Although he does also promise, I will not lead any more missions. Did you catch that? But I remember Ed, he tells her where he's going on this last mission to France and, you know, says, yeah. like, so he, it's a give and take. And he, I think their relationship is growing. Yeah. I'm just wondering, is he going to try to parse that statement apart and get <laughs> out of it? Like where he says, I will not lead exactly. any more missions no, he, he, because Kennedy's calling the shots or I'm not leading a mission because the president's really the commander in chief. You know, I'm just wondering if that he's going to kind of come back on his promise there well, it, a little bit. It's just like when he is on that plane, he's like, what did I actually tell Anna what I was doing? Did I say I wasn't going to lead? Yep. Did I, you know? <laughs> yep. Yeah. So. I'm just going to go peek under this tent flap real quick now and, you know, see who's under there. It's not not really getting involved, is it? Sneak a peek. I'm just going to sneak a peek. (laughs) I'm not going to crawl through the jungle for like two miles and meet up with Scott Coleman and the boys and plan out a mission and then go into a terrorist camp and, you know, rescue a family or anything. It's not dangerous. It's not dangerous. No. Completely chill. (laughs) Completely chill. It's not, I'm not breaking my word to Anna, am I? <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> well, you got shot in the butt and you got punched in the eye socket. So there yeah. you go. Mitch got it. All right. Any other final winners or losers? Uh, losers. 
I had Flynn's knowledge of the of the Philippines. <laughs> we 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 touched on that know. in the Twitter roundup. Um, the dueling narratives, I, I didn't I, I didn't vibe with that. And then the the second half of the book was uh, I don't know. I, I thought that if I had gotten if you had taken the two bar- books apart, they each could have been better on their own. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'll I'll just wrap up. The biggest winner for me of the entire book was the jungle scenes. Oh yeah, I would which agree with that. are like the first thirty forty percent of the book. Yeah, everything about missions on the ground in the Philippines. You know, boarding uh, the surf. You know, approaching the the beach, the amphibious landings. When you're hiking through the jungle, Coleman, Wicker, and the boys. I thought all that was way more exciting than anything else that came in the rest of the book. And unfortunately it just got cut off and dropped at the halfway point, but did love that part. All right. So what's your number, Chris? I think on all these books, you, you've been, you've been higher than me. Generally, you've generally been more uh, friendly and generous in your ratings, right? Well, when we were, we were talking about like, Oh, what's it, what was executive power about? Oh, it's the Philippines. And I don't remember liking that book. And I was already like sort of coming into it like with a negative vibe, but on reread, I actually I I, I kind of like the you know, in as a whole I enjoyed rereading it, but I'm I am it's not like one of my most favorites. So I gave it a B minus. I gave it a seven point eight. Yeah, that's where I stand. Well, the trend continues. I am quite a ways lower than you. <laughs> I, I was I was between a C and a C plus. I gave it a C plus, really liking the Coleman stuff and uh, the jungle scenes. So I'll round up to a six. I'll round up to an even six. Oh, man. But yeah. Hey, Memorial Day's next. So I get know, ready, I know. everybody. I was, gonna, I was just going to say get that. ready. We both really like Memorial Day. So the next. You might see the first straight A from me. The next two. You just might. The next two books are. Are amazing. So I'll put it this way: if I were grading that in my class, I'd give it extra credit points. <laughs> yes, and I don't give extra credit points that often. Yes, kids always want extra credit. I'm like, how about you just do your original work in the first place? Then you won't need any extra credit. But extra anyway. credit is better because <laughs> it's extra. <laughs> you know, speaking of extra, you know what I love doing <laughs> on our part two episodes of every book the cover discussion we're very extra. we got to get into the extra discussion of these covers and i i just mm, i'm gonna hold back right now but i have something to say about one of them mm. <laughs> all right but let's let's start positive which ones did you like chris and which ones did the listeners like okay so just to give you a little bit of this is obviously an audio medium not a visual medium but if you want to get a good look go on our twitter or our instagram or facebook to see these but so the winner for me, um, if I had to pick, was either A or D, which I'll describe. A is I think the original cover, which is this like yellow background with the the um, the seal, United States seal, and it has a little bullet hole, a smoking bullet hole in it. Um, I, I personally like D, which I believe is like the one of the standard german international ones i've seen like this figure in a lot of the german international ones from other ones and it's a picture of like a helicopter i'm imagining 
I don't really can't really see the background, but I'm, when I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, this is probably the helicopter in the Philippines. Um, as opposed to our fans, they got a uh, C got a lot of love, which I think is like one of the current um, iterations of it, which is just like this dark background with the Capitol building and a flag, traditional, you know, DC executive powers type stuff. A got a lot of love, the original cover. Um, also, which got some love was this G and H, which uh, so the honorable mentions. Yeah, the honorable mentions. For sure. So G is this amphibious uh like landing scene you know sort of like in the night which i imagine like is the opening scene like that's what i was sort of picturing with the navy seals and then the second one is these two helicopters coming in which also could be with like this sort of yellow background and a seal um which could be like you know coleman coming in with this team or the you know any sort of the you know these were two are very believable in terms of the actual plot of the book and I think what you're going to go off on in the second is the fact that there are recurrent book covers that we we discuss that have nothing to do with the fucking plot. I can't. I, I just can't. So the ones you talked about have helicopters. Yeah, helicopters come up at least twice in the book. Yes. And I think in H, those could be the longbows, right? Oh, that yeah. Might oh, yeah. Be that could be that. In Hebron. You know, it might be the Israeli helicopters. And then, gee, there's at least two scenes with beach landings or amphibious crafts. Yes. And it's got like this infrared kind of like nighttime, uh, night vision goggle kind of bluish green haze. And I'm like, that's so badass. And it happened in the book. I was so ready to say these might be the my favorite covers we've seen so far. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because they, because they relate to the books. And then I look at E. And I lose my shit. I, I lose my shit. It's it's dark gray, so it's gray tones, which sucks. But what sucks even harder is there's a man in an overcoat running down an empty highway. It looks like there's snow on the ground. Not one part of the story takes place anywhere remotely where there would be snow on the ground. And he's chasing a car, which looks like it's from the fucking 1950s or something. <laughs> He's chasing a car in the middle of nowhere, and there's power lines. Why do there always have to be power lines going over this highway? It makes no sense. It doesn't make sense for the book. It also makes sense, no sense, for a story I would give a crap to read about. So it doesn't make sense any which way you try to slice it. It doesn't make sense. Why is there always power lines? Why is there always a man running? So th- th- this is also the case with B. It's the running man. With B, which is another... This is like, I think, the current mass market paperback that you can buy on Amazon is B. It's a man running up a staircase. And this is a little bit more defensible than E because at least you could say, all right, maybe this is rap in the CTC. He just thought of something. He's running upstairs from the gym to go see Marcus. Or maybe this is... I don't know, David I don't know, man. running up the stairs to, you know, the assassination plot. But like literally E, there is not a single scene you could even fathom. Dude, search the word stairs. I'm going to open the book on my Kindle and I'm going to search the word stairs. And I doubt it comes up once. Uh, maybe it comes up once in passing. 
Yet somebody in an office, and speaking of rap hating people working in meetings and offices, someone in an office, I assume multiple rounds of meetings, somebody's got to approve this, sat there and go, great idea. Guy running up the stairs in a, you know, dingy basement, crummy rundown staircase. Like rap is not in, you know, some third world country running down a staircase into a bunker to escape nuclear weapons in this book. Never. Not once. All right, stairs. You know, I got the book open. So this is stairs. this is exactly why we haven't been picked up by like some 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 book book company because we are shitting on something that their executives greenlighted. Well, they should do a better job. And if they want honest opinions on book covers, I'm not a visual designer. I'm a history teacher. I could tell you not to put a staircase on the cover of Executive Power. <laughs> All right, stairs is mentioned quite a bit in the book. <laughs> Down downstairs comes up in chapter fourteen. Stairs comes up in chapter sixteen twice. <laughs> in chapter thirty-one, uh, right, they walk right. down the metal stairs for several decks and then down a narrow passageway. <laughs> Oops. All right, so maybe someone just Google search stairs, but anyways, it, this is a recurrent theme, and we're going to continue doing this because I, I just love talking to you about these things. But it's very obvious that. These two lines of, it's either a seal with something in the seal, or which is like the original line, and then like these new age lines of paperbacks mm -hmm. are things that are just cool running man things in either DC or in the middle of fucking nowhere. But there's also lines. this one line which stuck around, which is that like modern it's kind of like a very modern color scheme. So it's got the, the, the dark shadows and it's got these bright blue, almost neon uh, kind of shadows. Has a bright, vibrant American flag. You know, it looks like maybe the Capitol building. So there's also that line, which is, is choice C, which people loved. We had 40, almost 40 people on social media respond that they like C. The composition of it is phenomenal. So great one. I don't think it has much to do with the plot of the book, with the Capitol building, but um, pretty decent design if you think of like a modern contemporary, you know, art style. So I don't mind that. Can is line. it is it too much to ask for the book cover artist to actually read the book? I guess it is. I, we don't know the publishing industry, but I guess that to me that would be the number one requirement. Hey, we want you to design a book. How about you read it or a cover? How about you read the book? I, is is that? Is that not something in the industry that happens? I mean, even if you just read know. like, you could just read like 10 chapters of this book and I could come up with a cover of it. Yeah. Anyway, Anyways. some of them are pretty cool. All right. Anyways, that was that. That's our cover section. A, C, G and H. Pretty badass. Pretty good. stuff. Yeah. The OG one A is, is pretty cool. Yes. Yeah. It's nice and crisp. It's very clean. Gold tones, big seal and the smoking bullet. So that works for me. Again, we have to thank our patrons, including our special operator, Sherry F., and our special agents, Matt, Don, Dennis, Roman, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, and Jeff. Please subscribe, rate, and review us using your favorite podcasting platform. You can find us online at mitrappod.com or using our handle at mitrappod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch.
just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.